Welcome to episode 163 of Control the Controllables. And I have to apologize after a family holiday to the United States that we've been waiting for the last couple of years that the pandemic kept putting off. As meant, I, we arrived back 24, 48 hours ago. And I was like, oh no, we've not done our French Open preview. You know, and that's that's something that we're we're dedicated to bringing to you. So I got in touch with the team and Freddie Nielsen and Kieran Vorster at the very last minute jumped on to give you today's episode, which is an episode full of, of opinion, of, of discussion, you know, too incredibly knowledgeable, but also opinionated in the best of ways. You know, they both have an incredible passion for the sport. They're two people that have been involved at all the levels for, for many, many, many years. And you'll find the first half of the episode, we do jump into the Wimbledon situation. I know this is a French Open preview, but we, we can't not talk about that right now because every time I look at a newspaper, every time I look at a, a score, a result, a headline, from Roland Garros, here we are, finished coming to the end of day three. The headlines are made up with the players' opinions on what has happened at Wimbledon over, over the last few weeks. It's, it's a highly emotive topic, and I hope you guys will fully respect the views of, of the guests and myself on that and, and provoke some thoughts and get some, uh, some healthy conversations going. And then the second half of the episode, we jump in to our predictions, our who's gonna who's gonna come through on the women's side, on the men's side, and there's some great insights once again from my fantastic guests. So here we are, French Open 2022, the preview with Kieran Vorster and Freddie Nielsen. So Freddie Nielsen, Kieran Vorster, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. Great to have you guys back. Thanks for having us. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having us back on. Become hey, you, you guys are almost as regular as myself on these podcasts these days. And uh, I do have to say a big thank you to you both. I know you've you've helped a lot as well to get different guests on over, over the last few months. And as I was just saying, I, I got back from holiday on Sunday and thought, oh my goodness, we've not done our French Open preview. And I thought, I couldn't think of anyone better than to have you guys on to discuss the French Open and everything that's going on. But but Freddie, I have to start with you. I, I've, I've not seen you for a couple of months on online and a, a retired man, you're looking very relaxed there. How's, how's retired mm -hmm. life? Yeah, so I feel very relaxed. Thank you very much. I've been... Uh spending a lot of time with my family, participating more in the day-to-day -day, uh, dealings with my little son. And uh, I went... Not relaxing, is it? <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> it's relaxing now because he's in bed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, went straight into a job with the Federation, which uh, so I pretty much hit the ground running, didn't have much downtime. And uh, so far, I'm, I'm enjoying that challenge. And, and uh, it feels like there was no... Uh, cushion in between and that I've just been able to keep going where I left off and I feel like I'm still involved in tennis and I'm able to get some competitive juices going through my players so so far so good and uh, gearing up for for a change of residence we've bought a house so finally we have a small apartment so we're also looking forward to moving to a bigger house so it's uh, 
it's all happy days at the moment, to be honest. And any any regrets, you know, when you when you stop playing after having such a a long career and you come to that decision, I guess you often don't know if it's the right decision sometimes until you've done it. And how's how's that been? Oh, absolutely. No, no problem at all. Um, for me, I kind of was on borrowed time when I quit playing singles. I was never really uh, intrigued by the life on, on the doubles tour. I had some bonus years there and the first two years were fine for different reasons. The last year was not particularly motivating or inspiring for me for, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, now when I look back at tournaments... Uh, I don't miss being at the at the tour events playing doubles. I miss being at the random challenges and futures where I feel like I belong. I never felt like I belonged at the other places. And that was so far back that I already made my peace with it. So absolutely no regrets. On the contrary, it was the right time. I feel very at ease. Um, I miss competing tennis. I miss playing matches and all that. But I think that was always going to be the same. So I feel very much at ease about the whole thing. And Vozzy, how, how's, how's life for you? Life is good. Uh, yeah, just uh, obviously my son's excelling at uh, football. He's, signed, he's actually signed a contract with Sutton United. Oh, great. Um, so outside of my, my work, I'm throwing him around three, three days a week now for, with Sutton. And I place matches on a Saturday. So, you know, he started the journey. Um, yeah, and, and still working with some, some tennis players. Um, and I'm back with uh, Liam Brody for the this week at least. Um, if he likes what I do, um, then we'll go from there, you know. So, yeah, it's, it, other than when he turned up to my facility in Crocs, I just had to have a little conversation about him wearing Crocs. Although he did change the shoes, but it's like, you know, did you lose a bet wearing Crocs coming in, you know, walking around town? He said, he told me he, no one's going to convince him any. Anything to the contrary, he finds them the most comfortable pair of shoes he's ever worn. So he's, like, he, okay. he's a confident young man. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he, 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 he likes the look of his legs. <laughs> um, but no, he's... Uh, so, yeah, so the, the, the big yes, question, right? the big question, does he shave those legs? I'm, I'm not sure if they shaved a bit. He definitely got the trimmer around. So, <laughs> you know, the, tr- the trimmer's out. They're looking very golden. Um. Yeah, so, you know, we started yesterday. We did a bit in, in my facility in Wimbledon, and we did again today. And, you know, uh, very relaxed about it. I'm just obviously presenting what I do, and if, if he likes it, then, you know, we'll crack on. If not, nothing venture, nothing game. And, and before we move into French Open, and I'm sure we might have a dabble into Wimbledon as well, you mentioned about, about being a sports parent, and I've got to pick it up because... You know, everyone listening to this podcast in the main comes from a tennis background. You know, lots of tennis parents, lots of tennis players, tennis coaches. The the life of a football parent and and the world of, of a youngster trying to make it into the football world, similar to the tennis world, different? You know, how's that experience been? Um, I mean, the yeah, it is very different. I mean, the parents on, on, on a local academy level, they, they keep themselves to themselves very different to you know when 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 they're at uh, their grassroots clubs playing when their kids are playing on a sunday they're very vocal from the side um they they kind of feel that they can't may, maybe not say what they want to say or, or the fact that it's a privilege to be 
you know, in, in that academy setup. And and then also like the, you know, a lot of the group, the groups that are set up are, are just for information, you're not allowed to pass comments on them. Um, so they'll they'll ask you for um, you know, they'll give you information and then you you know, you can only do a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a smiley face, happy face. You can't, you know, and if you need if you need to contact them, you just gotta email them or, or contact them personally. Um, but but from my perspective, I, I've never really. I, I, I think I think there's always a fine line as a parent where you support what they do and then become pushy. Because, uh, and then when you become a pushy parent, I think sometimes you run the risk of the kid having anxiety in terms of if they wanted to stop or wanted to change, they feel they can't because they're doing it for you and not for themselves. So I've always taken the philosophy that you know I 100% support what he does, um, and the day he turns around and says he doesn't want to do it, that's fine by me. Um, I don't watch him train. Even at home, he has, we have, you know, Jim, Jim set up here. He, he knows what he wants to do. He, he'll ask me if it's an exercise, but I, 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 am, I am just a, a true support staff member of, of, of whatever his destiny is. And it's the same in education. You know, in education, it's not like, right, you need to go to a math tutor and get extra math. It's like, you know, just, just supporting him in terms of, you know, giving 100% effort and, and trying his best and what will be, will be. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting journey. I mean, I did it when he was a lot younger, when he was at Wimbledon Academy, um, and then he got released from there. So, um, luckily, it's not my first rodeo. But, um, yeah, it's uh, just just let, let, it, let it take its course. He signed a year contract. Um, come December this year, he'll know if he's got what is called a scholar's contract, which will be a two-year contract that would kick in in September next year for two years. Okay. So, and it's it's yeah, interesting. It's the I get the word that jumps to my mind is power, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've and I've long said, and it's been talked about a lot on this podcast. But you know, the the, the power struggle of a tennis coach, a, a tennis academy, it's very different because mm-hmm. because the the parents are paying the fees, or or in yeah. in the case in the case of a tennis player paying a tennis coach the the tennis player is so they're they're technically i guess the employers you know whereas at a football academy like you say there's a privilege it's like and they're getting everything paid for and you know very much the football club are the employees and that word power takes me into into our, our our topic of discussion tonight i guess of you know i've been coming in the last couple of days from work i tend to get my news from twitter you know, get that kind of quick fix of of results from the day, headlines from the day. And I'm looking for the French Open because that's going on. We're now in day three of, of the French Open. And pretty much every headline is Wimbledon. And and it's it's not only are we getting the results, but it's talking about Naomi Osaka discussing this, uh, Novak Djokovic making a statement about that all linked into what has happened at Wimbledon over the last over the last few days, you know, with with Wimbledon banning Russian players and Belarusian players, and now the ATP and WTA retaliating and trying to take the power back by by taking the ATP WTA points away from Wimbledon. And Vozzy, you've been tweeting for a while. You know, you seem to be in the know. You know, you've seen this coming for a few weeks. You've been hearing on the grapevine that this is what's going to happen. What's your take on it all? Um, yeah, so so I think 
from I, I, I don't I, I don't agree with the decision that Wimbledon took to to strip Russian and Belarusian players from playing. Um, they they are independent contractors from the country. They're not playing Wimbledon representing the country. Number one. Um, but on the other side of the fence, Wimbledon didn't just wake up one day and go, okay, this is the decision we're going to take. I think they were leaned on very, very heavily from the department of uh, culture, media and sport. Yep. Um, and were given, were given strong recommendations by them, but without them saying this is, this is, this is the law. Um, and so they, Wimbledon, in, on their side of the fence, rightly so, have interpreted what advice they've been given to a decision that they came out and made. Um, and obviously with any decision that anyone makes, for every action there's going to be a reaction and the reaction, whether it's positive or negative. Um, my, my, my only take on this would be how slow the ATP and WTA were to make the decision considering this came out end of April. And they've waited till Friday before the French Open. I think that's pretty poor. Um, and and I don't I, I don't think the well the, the way the ATP structure is they're not a player they're not they they do not represent players. It's 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 a conflict. You've got tournaments. You've got tournament representatives. You've got player representatives. Um, and then just hearing uh, and I don't know this fact, but you know Dan Evans as an example wasn't contacted or wasn't asked his opinion. You know, and there's three, like, if, even if you take the top 50, there's three people that rep, represent the top 50 who then report into the player council. So you're talking of, what, 15, 16 guys each person's got to call and have that conversation. And no one contacted Dan. And my, the feeling I've got is that the top players are super, super protected and the, their opinions count more than the, the player ranked 99. And, and um I don't think everybody was consulted because I think there's 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 a mixed camp with on the men in the men's game that that have uh, that wanted it and didn't want it. But then I think there's also agendas on the main board of, of the ATP. You know, there's one particular person on on the ATP board representing the players who was on the board of Wimbledon and and was booted off Wimbledon. And you know, he, he, I'm not saying he has, but this this may be a, a way of doing it in a professional manner, getting one back, um, at, you know, at them. And then further afield from this is, you know, also like from, what you know, did we, you know, what if this war goes on, goes on three years, four years, five years? What, are you banning Russian and Belarusian players from playing, you know, four or five years? You know, and then if you look at on the Women's Player Council, you know, Victoria Azarenka's on that council. Where's she from? Belarusia. So, you know, she, she's going to be lobbying for, for the decision that was made you know, strong, you know, very, very strongly. So, well, it seems as if the it seems as if the W reading between the lines and picking things up. It seemed like the ATP weren't going in that direction, but the WTA was the power push on on that side, and the ATP felt they had to marry up with the WTA's decision of what they wanted to do. I, I don't know what the truth in that is, but that certainly seems to be the word that's coming out. My understanding is, 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 is exactly that, that the uh, Steve Simons, I think, is a strong leader. Um, we saw that, that with the Peng Shui stuff that came out with China and, and how, how swift the decision-making was from withdrawing from China. Um, 
I thought the ATP were really, really weak and haven't followed suit and still haven't followed suit. And there's still tournaments there. Um, and yes, I think uh, my, from my, my, source, my understanding was the, the ATP weren't keen on it, and, and, but, but had to show unification on the decision. But what was quite interesting on that was the ATP came out with the decision before the WTA. Right, okay. Which was quite interesting just, just, just from, from an ob, ob, observation point of view. Um, but I think there's, there's quite a lot of other things. You know, for example, if, it is, if, the, if the ATP and the WTA and, aren't sanctioning that event and if it's a glorified exhibition event you know how's how's this going to be with tennis integrity units you know have they thought that through and you know will players get penalized if, if you know if they are arranging to lose lose matches i don't know i you know i don't know what the ruling is on that but you know the, it, 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 i'm assuming there's no there's no sanction like it like if you're playing an exhibition you know, in the seniors events, they would arrange it to go once at all and I'm going to win or, you know, or one player is going to win. So what is, what, you know, where does that leave betting, you know, on those yeah. events? Because betting in tennis is, is, is one of the most popular, popular sports to bet on. It, 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 it opens up so many things. If we, many of worms, yeah. if, if we take you, Freddie, to 2012 Wimbledon champion, if you'd won Wimbledon without ATP points, would it mean any less to you? Well, it obviously depends on what the field was. I mean, if if it were the same players as with points, no. But uh, but the, it, it depends if it's still a strong enough team. And I think Wimbledon is a strong enough brand. It's I mean, you can say, make the same argument for the Olympics. Um there are no uh, no points in the Olympics, but it seems to matter a lot for 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 a lot of players anyway. And uh, the the more interesting thing now for me would be that uh, for a lot of players, not just winning Wimbledon, but making qualifying, making second round is a huge deal because it makes a big uh, scoop up the rankings. Making quarterfinal is a big new story for a big big story for somebody's career. So I'm not really sure who is this decision is punishing really. Of the way I see it, I think it's punishing the players more than it's punishing the tournaments. I think Wimbledon has such a strong brand, such a strong att- attraction, and the history itself with playing Wimbledon and the really big prize money there is will attract enough players that the interest won't be affected. But on the other end, I think will affect a lot of players because it's going to affect their ability to win points. Let's say there, I mean, it's, there's a few grass court specialists or people that make a lot of points on grass courts. And now they have one tournament less uh, to, to make that. And it's a big tournament. So and not just win points, but defend points as well, because defend points as well. A, yeah, a, I think. A, a couple of ironic things on this. I think, I mean, on a bit of a side note, but I did see, Today, and uh, Martin Fuksovic came out and spoke about it. You know, he he's he made quarterfinals last year. You know, he will now lose those points as it stands, and he'll drop outside of the top hundred in the world. And 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 the other ironic thing that's come out of this is is there'll be a Russian who will move into into the world number one spot in Daniel Medvedev because of this move. 
you know, mm. which just kind of adds fuel to the fire in in what in what all of this what all of this is about. So, what's what's your take on it, Freddie? Do you do you agree with Wimbledon? Do you disagree with Wimbledon? Do you agree with the ATP? For uh, as someone who is fresh from the tour, what's what's your take on it? Um. I was always kind of expecting this to happen and I was it was very difficult for me to really make a decision uh, on where I stand. Um, I don't have a problem with what, what Wimbledon has done. I think it's perfectly legit. Um, I understand that a lot of individuals are going to get hit and they don't seemingly don't have anything to do with the war. A lot of my personal friends are going to get hit and I feel bad for them, but they're obviously not getting punished personally. And uh, we all know that Russia uses sports pretty heavily in their propaganda. And I can see a big issue from for Wimbledon and seeing a Russian standing with the trophy in two weeks time on British ground and, and, and having that being used. And I, I, yeah, certainly... but Fred, I said, but, but then from that, from that point of view, then it should be a governmental decision. The government should have banned Basically, said any Russian fellow Russians coming into the UK, they're, they're, they've got to now they've now got to apply for a work visa, and their work visas will be denied. And that's that's been that, that comes. So you taking that you taking that decision making away from Wimbledon, which I think is unfair. That they should not have not been put in that position to do it. My other take on that is that Wimbledon, uh, the, the players aren't representing Russia. They're not representing Belarus at that. If it was a, if it was a team event, totally get it. They were going there representing Russia for Belarusia. The other way around it is they should have got them to do those uh, like they did in, tra in track and field. They get them to sign an ANA. And part of that ANA was, is, is they denounced the flag, denounced the national anthem. And so you put, you're then putting the ownership back into the player's hand that then they decide whether they want to take the ANA and make those decisions. And then if they don't, then you say, okay, well, you can't play. But I also think within the ecosystem of tennis, all those nuances that you're talking about, basically, I think the ATP, WTA, and the ICF just put Wimbledon back within the box of the food chain of actually not bigger than the game. And it, 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 it doesn't look good that you're playing the French Open and you can play the French Open and then four or five weeks later, you can't play Wimbledon. It's like, are they not communicating with each other? And Wimbledon now looking for allies because the ICF has stripped junior points as well. So they, the only ally they've got left is the... Is the um, USTA, you've got the US Open. And then, and then obviously you're going into next year. So it's like, how long is this going to go on for before you go, okay, all right. You know, like even in South Africa in apartheid years, right? And the biggest difference between now and then is that in the part, when South Africa was in apartheid, we never had social media. But the team events were, were banned, but you could still play tennis. You could still play golf. You could still go out and play these individual sports. And I think I just I just think it's unfair that you know imagine if you Fred you you were from Wimbledon uh, from Russia or Belarus and you you're representing yourself you you're going playing because that's what you do that's what you do to earn a living and all of a sudden you're told you can't play and it's 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 where you draw this line I know I know you're talking about people within the media but then it's like okay so you know what if a carpenter rocks up applying for a job no you know you can't get that job because you're russian or belarusian it's like where are you going to draw the blind and that's you know i get it that that they, they use the use of propaganda machine and sport but it's i think it's very very unfair and it's affecting 22 players in the main draw 
on, yeah, on but I think, I think at, I, at the same time, the world is not really fair. And there's, I mean, yeah. if you look at the fairness, you know, the, it's not really fair on the innocent people in Ukraine to, to be involved in a war. There's a lot of players who have fled their country. Um, a lot of innocent people in Russia are victims of sanctions. That's basically what the sanctions are for. So these are some sanctions that hit a pretty specific, specific part of Russian people. Some other sanctions hit hit other part of Russian people that basically have nothing to do with the war. Like I said, I'm not particularly pro the decision. I don't have an issue with it. Uh, I'm not pro the other decision. I'm a bit on the fence, uh, but but I I can totally understand it. And and I'm, I mean, the, the world is 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 not really fair. But and and this this is um, this is also for me. You know, there's conflicts and there's regional conflicts and there's war and everything is shit. But this is also yeah. one of the bigger, like for me, anyway, personally, one of the few, one of the biggest wake up calls that we, 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 we mm. got for world peace. I mean, mm. this, this is like a threat to world peace. This is where I feel, okay, you can see even Sweden and Finland joining NATO. It's not just a regional thing, you know, and you don't mm. see and Finland joining NATO and Syria is at war. So there's obviously some bigger powers at, at, at stake here. And the, the indications are that Putin won't stop at, at Ukraine. So, I mean, yeah, I feel bad for, for all the people involved. But, but a lot of incidences in the world come with innocent casualties. And yeah. I also feel like that, that, that some of the sanctions that, that have been taken against the Russians previously with the doping and all that have just been pathetic. I mean, who who are, who are we kidding? Nobody is actually thinking that it's the Russian Olympic Committee that are competing at the Olympics, or just the fact that they're not competing. I mean, I think uh, forgive me if I'm ignorant here, but I think the ATP have removed the flags from people's websites. Like yeah, they've removed they removed the flags. They've removed the flags that, that so, so like even if you go to the French Open and you see Karen Kachanov, it's just an empty flag. But if if they but, but it, what they did in track and field last year is they put an A and A in the, in that thing. So they've agreed that they have a, and this was to do with the with with the state sponsored doping. That they agreed that they, when they were competing in the Diamond League events or whatever events they were, they denounced themselves from the Russian anthem, the Russian flag. They signed. They agreed to that. So. Why, why, why did that not happen in tennis? So the ATP and WTA are then are then saying, say to Daniel Medvedev or saying to Victoria Azarenka, here, here is here is the policy booklet that you have got to sign that you denounce yourself from from Belarus or Russia. If they turn around and go, sorry, we don't agree to do that, then basically the ATP and WTA say, right, based on your decision, these are the consequences of. But you you you're giving them a choice. I I I. I don't agree with the decision that Wimbledon made, but I don't agree that Wimbledon should have been allowed, uh, be, not allowed, um, being put in a position, be put in the position to make that decision. I think the government should have, of, of, and it would have been, if the government made the decision, we wouldn't be here talking about it. Because it'll be, sorry guys, the government made the decision and, and, and that's how it is. But uh, there's three, there's three points I'd might like to make guys. And one, sports and politics People say they don't mix or they don't, they're not, they're separate things. Incorrect in that, in my opinion. You know, like you say, Freddie, the propaganda has been used with athletes for years. You know, it is, yeah. it is something that is is the place. I think the 
the second bit, I think what this brings up in, in our industry, it, it, it's showcasing the fractures of our industry, even more so. You know, tennis, you know, tennis as a whole, because actually Wimbledon can't really make a sanction that's going to affect the Russian government. You know, can tennis? Probably not either. You know, could sports all coming together? Maybe, you know, can start to get, you know, you can start to maybe create a little bit of pressure and a bit of intensity that starts to, you know, come if athletes start to, you know, go knocking on, on, on the government's door. But it's showing here that tennis just is not collective in any way you know, anywhere at all, you know, and that's, and that I think is really sad because it brings up and I'm, I'm like you, Freddie, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence on all of it. And that's not, I'm not someone to hide from an opinion. You know, me and Vicky have been talking about this on the podcast for a while. At first I was really adamant that it shouldn't happen. This is months ago. You know, Vicky was like, they should stop, you know, all Russian tennis players, you know, all of this, they've got to do something. And I was against that. As time's gone on, I've realised that if tennis as a whole is going to do that, that's that's more important, that that's less unfair than than those little girls and these women that are being raped and, you know, everything that's that's going through in, in, in war that's happening right now. And my last point, and I think this is the point that I, I I I start to then swear a little bit against the ATP on because and the WTA is is what they have done. If we got Sergi Starkovsky or Marta Kostyuk or Svitolina or, or whoever on this podcast right now, they have they have basically gone on the Russian side of this. That is the card that they have played. Yet the Russian tennis players, I've not heard one of them condemn what is happening. Not one, you know. I mean, there was one no war, please. Courage, from... not courage. Um... No, Rublev wrote no war on a on a. But he's also come out with, you know, Medvedev's come out today and and backed the ATP. There's not been any real condemning from the Russian tennis players of what is happening currently in Ukraine. You know, okay, now that you know, might, that might be through I, I, fear. I, 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 yeah, you don't know if their, their families have been threatened in Russia. You, uh, of you, course, we don't know. Uh, uh, we, we, of course, but there's but those those three things. I think this it's it's obviously it's 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 a massive topic. It's bigger than any of us can can put up put our fingers on it. But you you put all of those bits into a boiling pot, and and there's a there's a big difficult. You've said something there, Vozzy. How long does this go on for? But there is people out I mean, there that are going. It doesn't matter what happens on the tennis court when this is happening in Ukraine right now. That is more important than anything else. And with regards to the, the threatening, okay. to, you want the players to sign statements. And if you kind of force their hand on that, that's also a little bit of putting them, if they do want to play and they make that statement, you know, you, you can also put their families at risk that way. So it, that's yeah, both ways. I, I, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think that's a right or a wrong, Fred, but what I'm saying is that... Um, with the decision made by Wimbledon, you're not giving the player the choice. So whatever, whatever, whatever you put in place, there's always going to be a, at least one hole that you can pick out of it. But what you want to do is being be, being able to, to weigh it up so that there's a decision also made by the player, not just what Wimbledon has said, we can't play. But if they were like, okay, well, we were given an option to play, for reasons we can't discuss, I've chosen not to play. 
and then that's a question of well, if, if you've been bullied by the Russian government, that that's out of the control of the of, of us or the sanctioning event or the sanctioning tournament. But you've given them that at least you've given them the you know the option that if you really want to play this event, this is this is what we put in place. The other thing is as well is that that should have come from the ATP or the WTA, not 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 Wimbledon. No, you know, so you know the ATP or WTA could have said right, you know these. We, you're carrying on playing. We want you to denounce the flag or whatever. But on the other side, without me, the, on, from, from what I said from the outset, is that these guys and girls are individuals from a country. They're not playing Wimbledon representing Russia. They're playing Wimbledon representing themselves. When you played Wimbledon in 2012 and you won, you're representing yourself from Denmark. I, I'm not sure I fully agree with that. I think uh, I, I think ultimately you are you 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 are because you're whether whether you like it or not, you you are you are from that country, you know, and and you are from that country, but you you you're not representing that country on a on a official capacity in that event. It's not like it's not like you are representing. You are representing Russia, Belarus in the Olympics, which is officially sanctioned event that you're representing your country. You know, like you know, if you, you, you're you're playing the event from a country, but you are you are an independent contractor. Otherwise, where do you draw the line on this? You know, it's like where 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 does it stop? I mean, somewhere. Yeah, you got to draw it somewhere. somewhere. Yeah, you got to draw it exactly. somewhere, but where? But exactly. Where? They, mean, they, that this is where they decided. You know, and like I said, I don't fully endorse it i don't think it's i'm not pro it i'm not against it i can understand it i don't have a problem with it i also think that if this like you said three four years ahead like if this escalates and and we we, we let's say world worst case scenario going to a world war history also shown like what do we do like we, we're going to tell our kids and our grandkids what what we did to prevent this and if at least Wimbledon will be able to say well, we did we did what we could do, you know. But do you think? But, but what I'm saying is, like like Wimbledon or, or these sporting events, putting these stands, that's not that, that they are not going to be a contributing factor to stopping the war. No, very few things are though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing that's going to stop the war is is is, is Putin himself. Yeah, or or the fact that he runs he runs Russia into the ground. They've got no money to to to, to fund the war, or, or or the sanctions are are that tight on, on them that they they get strangled. They they can't they can't be self sufficient within their own borders. That that that's the only that's the only thing that I I could think of. Like you know, with the sanctions that they put on Rhodesia when when the, they were fighting, and then the same in South Africa, um, and then obviously international pressure. But whilst all of that was going on, you could still play sport as an individual from that from from South Africa. But I but I, I mean, there's so many things in the if we if we go to that the big scheme of things that really don't, we we we're encouraged to do that don't really have a big effect. You know, that do you think it helps the world uh, water supply if I don't uh, if I turn off the water when I brush my teeth? No, but I think also we we have an we have a we have a responsibility to try and do something and show the world that we have done it and lead by examples and then if it has an effect or not i think that's not the most important thing i'm also i've always been in my life as a tennis player process oriented so i like to act on principle and and what you believe is right and then 
the outcome will come thereafter because uh, it is a tricky situation and i think showing the world and 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 the big organizations or what you will in the world are, are are the ones to step up and, and show the world that they care and they can't just let it go on with and, and let the aggression of the world continue without having any sort of reaction to it. Yeah, but I just, I just, I, in summary, I just, I, just, I think it's unfair that you're taking livelihood away from the independent contract. That's my, my take on it. And, and then reading between the lines, I don't think the ACP, it, it, I, I can't comment on the WC because I don't know, have done a good enough job in speaking to everybody and, and ascertaining if it's speaking to 100, the top 100, and and having having a percentage vote on what the outcome was from the players representing the you know those players representing going into the player council, going into the board. But if we go back and and, and I I promise you, listeners, this is the last couple of minutes before we do get into the French Open because I think it's I think it's it's important that we do as as important of a topic as this is. If we even go. Back a step from there, though, Vozzy, just to reiterate the point I made earlier. How are Wimbledon making that decision without a discussion with the ATP and WTA anyway? You know, and how if you, if you go back and to ITF. A, a, an ITF, you know, you you take the whole chain of events, then you then you go. I mean, it wasn't so long ago we had Novak Djokovic coming out and the PTPA, and you know, that was you know, we're representing players. And Djokovic is making statements now that it's not right, and it's you know he's obviously got his his agenda and his his feelings on that, but he's not representing the players in that. You know, it's 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 all just so skew with in terms in terms of it, and I think that's probably we we can all have our opinions. You know, we can. It's it's a it's a yeah. terrible terrible time in the world yeah. right now. You know, my yeah. thoughts. We have seven players from the Ukraine at the academy that we've brought over right now. You know, I've I've personally got a strong strong affinity with them and and know that yeah. their families are back in in Ukraine. So I, I guess that that definitely keeps pulling in my mind as well. You know, whenever yeah. I hear that it's unfair, someone can't play a tennis match. I'm like, ah, yeah. ah, 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 that's not unfair. Forget forget tennis for a minute. That's yeah. what's happening there is there is unfair. We can't put that right. Yeah. But I do think it's showing, well, like the industry is like a sieve and there's way too many holes. Mm. There's way yeah. too many things that are jumping yeah. out and sprouting out. And and and, yeah. ult and ultimately it's 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 not a good it's not a good look. And I think somebody yeah. said today it's a lose-lose situation. And and I think that it sums is. it up quite nicely. You know, yeah, and, it and, is. And, I think I, I think also just to add to that would have been it would have been too early for the French, uh, too late for the French to do it. But when when Wimbledon made that decision. If they had communicated with with the U.S. Open, Australian Open, and French, they could have all come out and said, "Yes, moving forward, we are back. We are doing exactly what Wimbledon are doing." Worst case scenario. So even if you take the ATP WTA out, which I totally agree that they should have been communicated with, then the U.S. Open said, "Yeah, we're going to do exactly what Wimbledon said." And then Australia goes in 2023, we're doing the same, and French come out and say, "Yeah, we're doing the same going forward." But what they haven't worked out is how long's a piece of string? How long is this war going to go on for? No, and not. also there's definitely a lack of communication in somewhere, but 100%. I find it hard to believe that Wimbledon just completely did it without anybody knowing. I I'm, I I haven't witnessed, but if that's the case, then 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 it's a it's a big problem. What's also worth remembering is there's some there's a lot of legalities involved, and there's contracts. So if one contract is mislead, then then 
the, the ATP has to think about. I, I understand the ATP feeling the need to have uh, to make a reaction because they're partly owned by the players. So when players of their organization are not allowed to play, they have to make a stand because they represent all the players. Secondly, they have a deal with Wimbledon that goes on, you know, being completely a ranking based model. And, 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 and when Wimbledon then don't follow the contract, then it's up to ATP to show them. And especially with the pressure that the French Open put on them uh, a few years ago when they just moved the pro the French Open without uh, informing every, anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's important time for ATP now to say, all right. They, they, if, if it just keeps going, there'll be a precedence and we'll just be pushed around. So we so we have to do something. Yeah, it's a power um, battle, isn't it? It's a power it's battle. It's a power battle. But I think I think you know ultimately this reaction was not great. Oh, okay, like like you said, they didn't have much time to do it. I still think they did it late. I completely agree with you, Vasi, that they did it pretty late. And ranking points, I don't I don't really know what players it benefits or or anybody or if it's a true statement against Wimbledon but they certainly had to do something from their point of view I don't have any issues with them doing anything I don't yeah. think it's the right the, uh, reaction or anything but there is but a lot what... that we don't know with the contracts and who knows what sure. and, you know and then what what's also interesting is <laughs> the tournaments that the ATP have direct more direct control of which is obviously Queens Eastbourne Nottingham They've let the points remain the same, and and their their take on it is, well, they've they've got opportunities to play other tournaments the same weeks in in other territories. Well, hold on a second, it's restraint of trade because you 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 then limiting where they can play, and so then and then those other tournaments then become a lot stronger and a lot harder to get in, and so that player who was on the on the fringe of getting in is now miles out, and then loses that opportunity then to get ranking points. And I, I think that's weak leadership as well. You know, if you're going to do it at Wimbledon, do it for Queens, do it for Nottingham, do it for Eastbourne, all the tournaments up. And so there's consistency in the message. Don't, don't give me that, 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 that weak, lame excuse that, oh, they can go and play Mallorca, they can go and play Stuttgart. They can, you know, they, they, they've got those other tournaments to play. That, I think, is also pretty weak. Agreed. Freddie, to take you to take you back, and and I've said this to you many times, and I really mean it. You know, I've learned a hell of a lot from you over the years, and your your obsession over the process. You know, and that's something that I've always loved. I share Freddie Nielsen stories with every player I've ever coached. You know, not nonstop. I remember you coming off a match one time, and I said, "Well done to you. You'd won the match," and you said, "No, it's not well done." You said at thirty all or thirty forty at three all I'm working on hitting my backhand and coming to the net and I pussied out and I didn't and I, I hit the backhand and I didn't come forward and yes I won the match but I'm pissed off that I didn't stick to the process you know and I, it's something that I've admired massively in you and, and and that moves me into something that I read today from Naomi Osaka who Naomi Osaka losing first round again at the French Open granted a, a very tough match uh, against against last year's semi-finalist in uh, Missanova. And she's come out and said, I don't think I'll play Wimbledon because I want to see my ranking rise. You know, and that's the reason, that's the reason that she's given that she probably won't play Wimbledon. And I guess we're going to see lots of differences. But that transitions me into the French Open. You know, already we've now obviously Ash Barty stopping playing 
not so long ago. <laughs> it seems like a while ago. I think she kind of put a little bit of her magic dust in Iga Sviontek's shoes before before she left the tour. And then I think it's the, the number two, Contevit, who's just moved to number two in the world, I believe, already lost in, in the first round. Uh, the world number three has also already lost uh, on Jaber, who I, on the Soto Tennis social media, picked to win the title. And she's gone out. She's gone out. I should have learned from Vozzy picking her the, la- the, the, the last time. Uh, she, she's already gone out first round. But I, not that I'm making an excuse for my pick, but it seemed so obvious to pick Fiontech in the women's side. And it feels like she's, I mean, I, I don't know what it is, whether it's 28 matches. I think she's won in a row now. She seems since Ash Barty stopped playing has just become it. And, and in my heart of hearts, I really do believe Shiontek is going to win the French Open. I don't see anybody beating her, but I wanted to be a bit cocky and pick somebody a little bit different. Can anyone, Freddie, beat Iga Shiontek this year at the Women's French Open? If she stays healthy and uh, nothing out of the ordinary happens, I don't think so. And uh, she's also a great example because uh, you've had a good uh, insight into how she works she's also quite process oriented and that's one of the misconceptions about being process oriented because people think that when you mention process it means that they don't care about winning the whole point about being process oriented is to be able to continuously win instead of just winning the next one and to figure out a way how to win as much as possible over the course of your career instead of just getting over the hurdle that's right in front of you and she seems like she's she's also speaking at a good time like you said the competitors behind her are not really uh, making it happen for them so i think she she could have some good years of domination and to answer your question short no i don't think anybody's going to beat her and and to pick up on that point as well freddie because as you Rightly said, you know, we got to know Iga this time last year or just before when she came to the academy for a couple of weeks. But I also had her on on the podcast. And what she said was, she said, I've won the French Open, but I've got no idea how. <laughs> and and I've had, I've had a few people on, on the show that have talked about that, that they've said things like, I'm, I, 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 Kazakina said I was top 20 in the world, but I wasn't ready to be. I didn't know. I didn't know how. I didn't know how to be a top 20 player. You know, we had Dalma Galfi recently. She was at age 19, up to 130 in the world. Didn't know how, didn't know why. And 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 Eager talked about how she became, was becoming obsessed on understanding what it was. And her words, I believe, were to replicate. You know, I wanna, I wanna be able to replicate this excellence. You know, I don't just want to, like you said, fall over the line, how anyone falls over the line to win a singles French Open title, I don't know, but to to to, to win this event, but then not know how to do it. So I don't know how to replicate it. And it feels like she's obviously got that magic replication in order. You know, I'm sure at some point we'll see her lose some confidence and pick up an injury and, you know, things will fall off because that's the nature of, of the sport. But Vozzy, do you see anyone challenging Iga this year? In the French Open? Um, I mean, l- looking at the top half, uh, I mean, if, if she could potentially have... Halep fourth round? Yeah, Halep fourth round, which I was just looking at, which, you know, I mean, Halep, Halep's gone in quite undercooked, but 
she's she's obviously a phenomenal player. Um, you know, and then f- f- further down, there's uh, Ostapenko as well. Well, Ost- no, Ostapenko plays Halep next round, so the winner of that. It's a player so, like yeah, that, I isn't mean, it? Who could just who could just have yeah. a day? I miss Anova. I think there's a one as well. You know, I'm not sure yeah. she's ready to win seven matches to 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 go and replicate that to win a Grand Slam, but she could have a day where she just catches catches fire. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Halep play and see how she handles that. Um, and it'll be also interesting to see, see you know, with Halep, with Moritoglu, um, and, and then obviously Mike James doing the data. If there's anything new that they bring to the table that, that's adding to, to Halep's game um, and, and see, 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 you know, see if she can challenge. Um, I think, and I think, I think it's a big like- job for Moritoglu because Moritoglu, I mean, I don't know. I don't know Patrick personally at all. You know, you hear different opinions. I think nobody can argue he's been amazing for the game in terms of just bringing the spotlight onto tennis. But I think a lot of people don't give him the credit that for coaching Serena Williams. And you hear a lot of people say, ah, he's not up to much. So I think this is quite a defining job for him as well. You know, because if he can, if it's he can get a Halep because I, I'm in your, I'm, yeah, I'm in, I'm in your, your camp in terms of obviously I don't know him at all. But based on his social media postings and everything, you, you then you, you then get a preconceived opinion of, of what he's like. And I I I um I I, I was having uh, a cup of cup of coffee with Delgado, Jamie Delgado, and he said, you know, he's a nice guy, he's a really good guy, and he loves tennis. He he has passion for tennis. Um, he loves it, and you know he knows what he's talking about. But you know, obviously. What when you meet somebody versus what he's doing with the social media, he uh, what Jamie said is he's it's very different, and um, you know he said he's he's got huge passion for it, and yeah he's you know loves the game, and and obviously yeah he knows the game. Don't get me wrong, um, but yeah I think Halep will be an interesting project to 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 see where he's at. You know it's different. You know Serena Serena is a is, is a hell of an athlete, hell of hell of a player. You know and. It'll be interesting to see if he can replicate that working with the people now moving forward. Anybody else that jumps out, Freddie? I mean, I have to give a shout out to, to Mara Zadanzek. So our performance director, Carl Mai, is at sort of Tennis Academy is working with Tamara. She's been at the Academy the last couple of weeks. We do a, we do a, a circle uh, at the end of our, at the end of each week, we do a little circle where, you know, we talk and thank people for coming to the Academy. We talk about the values give give like a little gift to players that access. And I told her before Rome, she headed off to Rome and then she came back before she went to Paris. I said, look, Iga went, was the last WTA player that was in this circle. And she went off to Rome and she won love and love in the final, you know, after her time at Soto Tennis. So I, I challenged Tamara to, to go and get those results as well. So uh, she came for her first round today. Looking at the draw, she potentially... She made semifinals last year. She plays Pagula, who, who, who in the third round, who seems to be a player that just chips away. She's almost top 10 in the world now. You know, she's maybe a player to mention. Another one that I, I, I love and I would love, you know, Tom Hill, her coach. Tom's a, Tom's a great guy doing a great job. Is, is Sakari. You know, she's someone that certainly has the physicality to be able to make a way through a grand slam. So I'm going to, we're coming to pick time, guys. You are not allowed to pick Iga. 
because she's put herself into such a position of being such a big favourite. Uh, so not allowed to pick Egan. You've got to give us one other watch out name. Vozzy, go. You can go first. Well, I'm going as a ranker. Is that you? Is that your? Is that you watching, or is that your your you're in? No, that's that's. I'm going for my. That, she's my outside to win it. And then you want one to watch. One to watch. Let's go, Coco Goff. Coco Goff and Freddie. That was my. Uh, that was my outsider. Because I think you got to go with somebody who has a big upside. I think it's just a matter of time before she goes on and breaks through and wins the slam. I don't think why she's not going to be able. I can't see a reason why she wouldn't be able to pull a Raducanu, for example. And she's been around yeah. long enough and has dealt with the various things. She's shockingly still a little bit under the radar for me. I think she's yeah. believably good, but yeah. still kind of doesn't get the recognition because she was so good so early so so one that can kind of that has the potential to to blow the scale a, a little bit for me is is coco there's and, a and mentally mentally in a good place seeing she just graduated from high school <laughs> grade 10 <laughs> yeah uh, and the, there's a really interesting little quarter that you've got bensich playing against andrescu next round the winner potentially to play Leila Fernandez, and then you coming out that next session. That next section is Anissa Mova and potential Sakari. You know somebody I can see somebody out of that section, but my watch it is is the Swiss player, and I don't know if I'm getting the name exactly right, but Tiekman, Jill Tiekman, who the lefty who you know's got a big game, someone who is is a little watch it as well, and and I think over the last. Oh, the last two or three Grand Slams, I think the women's has, has stood out, actually. I think you know, we go back to US Open, obviously the, the excitement of that. But, uh, but I have to say, I think the men's is the standout event this year. And I think it's, it's Can I just finish? I didn't, I didn't pick up one to watch. Absolutely, Freddie. My one to watch is a little bit uh, provocative, but it's Emma Raducanu, just because... There's so much. Freddie, 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 come on, man. There's so much going on around her that it's going to be really, really interesting to see how she deals with this French Open. I think she's a she's a classic of what we've talked about with Iga and, and her upside is massive, but she doesn't know yet what her process is to replicate. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, I, and I think, you know, she She's probably, there, but doesn't know how to say that. Yeah, and, and I, I don't. I, I think she is. I think she's a classic on that, and I think she's incredibly exciting. I think she will be a future top ten, top five player in the world who will who will find that. But I, but I think right now, I don't think she knows how to replicate her day and doubt processes. You know, and 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 I think you see that with her her moving around with coaches. She doesn't quite understand herself yet. You see that with her. Every match is quite dramatic. You know, mm. she's not just going through matches. You know, she's fighting hard, fair play to her, but she's not She's not just picking up two and twos, you know, and, and making her way. And I think adding adding to that, I think on a clear court, look, she's in a phenomenal athlete and she's going to be somebody who eventually can learn to play on a clear court and have success. But I think that's a, that's a push, but hey, 
who, yeah, but I mean, one to, one to watch for maybe for for different reasons. There is more like I, it's let's not forget her, and uh, I, I know you guys are in in Britain, but 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 there's a there's no, a lot of hype in Britain about her, but not as much maybe no. in, <clears throat> in 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 where around I've been, but uh, but it's more I as hope, in. Uh, no. I think she's very, very, very fascinating case. case and I, I like to yeah. follow what's going on she's, in her, she, her life. She is. She's addictive. I think she's yeah. addictive. The way she plays, the way she lives a life, you know, the way she looks, you know, everything. Everything she's got. She's got that superstar package, doesn't she? She really does, you know. And, yeah, and she, it, comes it, across, she comes across great in interviews. Yeah. I think she's really interesting. So that's. That's why I pick her as my one to watch because she does stand out from the rest a little bit. She has that glamorous side to her. She's getting great deals with great companies, not just a lot of deals, but huge companies. So that that's my reason for it. Another another one I just want to just point out that and she she did beat last year's French Open champion in the first round. I don't know if you guys have come across her yet, but watch her. She can seriously play. She's a 2002 as well. 19 years old is a, is a French girl called Diane Parry. She's, she's coming up the rankings. She was, you know, did well at the end of, end of last year, around like the 60 Ks, hundred Ks. She's just moved inside top hundred in the world. And she beat Krajikova in the, in the first round and whether she's ready now, who knows, maybe she can have a little run now that she's, I guess, technically taken that second seeded spot, but that girl can seriously play. You know, I remember seeing her when she was 16 or 17. She's, she's, she's exciting. Am I able to move us on to the men's? Where do you start? Ready. I mean, I've had egg on my face going against Rafa for a while at French Open, you know, but I have to stick to what I've said. You know, how, how I think the worst thing that happened to everybody in that men's draw was the match between Alcaraz and Djokovic in, in Madrid, because I think you, you could see throughout that match, Alcaraz was just playing Djokovic right into Djokovic mode, you know, and you could, you know, before that match, Djokovic was struggling. Yes, he was winning some matches, but he was losing sets to players. He never would, you know, but that match, you could see him thriving off, you know, this battle, this new rival that's appeared on the on the ATP tour. And I think it's taken us all by storm. You know, Alcaraz, we've seen him coming now for a couple of years, but he is a genuine super, superstar. Genuine. I think he already knows his process. He knows what he's about. He knows his identity. He's ready to win a Grand Slam. But I fear, and I say I fear because I don't want Djokovic to go on and, and get his 21st Grand Slam. But I'm going to put it out there. I think Novak Djokovic is going to be our winner this year on the men's side. I don't, I don't think he's going to do it. I, like, I, I think someone like Medvedev. I'd like Medvedev. I think Medvedev. Get out of here. On the dirt. He even, Medvedev, he's, come he's on. He's his own worst critic on the clay. He keeps talking about how bad he is on the clay. Yeah, that could be, that could be a, 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 a positive negative. In a sense, talking, yeah. talk, it takes some pressure talk, away from him. Yeah, exactly. Talking stuff down. Um, no, he cruised today. Gave away six games. Medvedev's uh, like, watching, like watching Keenan play for Logo Pack in Hartenholm <laughs> on the clay court back in the day. Trying to win yeah, matches, like serve volley on both serves. Great spiel. Great spiel. <laughs> <laughs> 
spoke to Wayne Ferreira the other day. He thinks TFO's in a good place. I mean, he's, you know, outsider. You can go deep. Not, I'm not saying win, but I think he could go deep. Who knows? Norrie's Norrie's playing some ball. He's doing well. He's a he's a great I, example, isn't he, Norrie, of just someone who just has just got his head down and just worked and also yeah. I think a lot of we we've we've got um and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying we've got Gordon Reed at the 18 time Grand Slam champion at wheelchair tennis Gordon Reed at the Academy this week. He's he's going to French Open with one of our coaches and preparing at the Academy. Now speaking to Gordon and, and he I, I was asking him what's the difference, you know, playing on a clay court, being in a wheelchair, is it different? You know, obviously the movement is so different, you know, for able-bodied tennis players, you know, moving around. And he said a little bit of traction with the wheel, but he said, but I hate clay. I hate <laughs> clay. I said, why? I said, why? He said, oh, it's just, and, and I understood it, you know, the high bounces, you know, you, you don't want the ball too, too high when you're in a wheelchair. Yeah, but he, he plays like, I mean, watching him, he plays like Rafa. He's ripping the ball lefty. And and it was such a, this like British mentality of we hate clay. That's, we just hate clay. We can't play on clay. You know, that was the way that so many of us were brought up, you know, almost thinking that it's just so different to anything else. And 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 I, I mentioned to Gordon this, that a few years ago, and I'm sure you guys remember, but Great Britain played Spain in the Davis Cup tie at Punta Romano in Marbella. <laughs> and we went along for the day and it was a bit of a doubt. Took the kids expecting to watch Liam get duffed up and then watch Cameron Norrie to get duffed up. And we just didn't see that. Liam put in an amazing performance in the first match. I think lost in four tight sets. And then Norrie beat, uh, not Karena Buster, beat Batista Agut in five sets. His first ever clay court. It just seems to me that Cam's got this amazing mentality of just like, it is what, okay, it's a, it's a different court surface. It's a different tournament. And he's won, I think, four ATP events this year. And he's been the top seed in all four, you know, and his, his ability to do that. So I think we have to mention Cam. We have to mention Dan Evans winning a first round. I think Dan Evans winning a first round at the French Open, fair play to him, you know, for him to be able to do that against an Argentinian guy. So a couple of the British guys. But I want to bring... But again, Dan, Dan, Dan's got a game. I think he's right. He can hurt people on the clay. Uh, clay quarters will hate playing him. Yeah. You know, if he's executing his game, they'll hate him. The slice, the dice coming in, you know, short backhand slices, cross court coming in behind it, you know, moving the clay court, the clay quarter forward. You know, if he gets it right, he could, again, he could do some damage. Yeah. But I was talking to somebody, um, I'm not mentioning his name, but I was talking to somebody and they said to me, do you want to hear an interesting stat? And I was like, oh, you're gone then. As apparently from, since the US Open last year, <coughs> Dan, Dan hasn't won more than two matches in an event. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's the, yeah, he hasn't. He's won two matches, but never won yeah. a third. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to have kind of consolidated himself as a 35-40 play in the world, but he hasn't quite and kicked I think, on. I, like avoid, I, claim, I claim he could be way higher. I've always said yeah. that. Yeah, no, I, I, and, that, and, I and, I, that. and I say that because he's got the ability, he's got the game, and he's, he's, he's a great athlete, and he works the socks off, as I've seen it first now. But he's also maybe a one as well, though. It goes back to that thing. You, 
you have a good run, you kind of find your equilibrium a little bit of where you're at, you know, and don't be surprised if Dan doesn't have another another little push over the next 12, 18 yeah. months. You know, yeah. and, and, and Fred, I, I want to bring you in because one of my pet peeves is when I when I see a draw that's done in a poster and it tells us that Djokovic is going to play this player first round, this player second round, this player, it's, it's the most disrespectful thing ever. However, I'm about to get dragged into that a little bit because it is a fascinating draw, you know, and I think it, it's fascinating the fact that we could have Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals. And without injury, it's hard to see, I think, how that won't happen, you know. And then everyone's assuming that the winner of that will play Carlos Alcaraz in, in the semifinals. Whereas in the bottom half of the draw, it's a bit like, well, is City Pass just going to walk his way through? We know as tennis players that's not going to be the case. But City Pass is down right now to see two sets of love. Is he, to one, is he, yeah, is he really against Massetti? So, there, so, there, yeah. so there you go. So that's why we can't do that. But who who comes out of that top half? Do you see anybody getting beat out of the big three? You know, and I firstly want to ask you, how bloody good is Carlos Alcaraz? Okay, that's a lot to digest. Let me go. So I completely agree with you. I think it's so boring as a tennis player. I think it's so boring. Those headlines, I hate them. I, I see the headlines and I go immediately in and try to find, okay, who are they playing on the way? However, I completely understand the process because it's not really a headline if Novak Djokovic meets, uh, plays Nishioka for the common person. So it's it's a much better headline to make that. And and obviously they, they got to create some clicks and create some hype. And that's the way it is. I, I can live with that. But I agree with you. I find it so boring and it rarely sticks up. But at the same time, we also know that the Rafa Novak uh, rivalry is coming to an end. There's not that many left. So we are obviously very pumped about every potential they're going to be playing against each other. I, like you, have Novak as my favorite. I think that uh, until Rome, I wasn't too convinced. But after Rome, I feel convinced that he's getting into shape. He looked very strong against Nishioka. And he's, I mean, it's just. Best of five sets is a different animal. I still think he's physically strong enough, even though he had a very weird year. And uh, for me, he's the man to beat. Carlos is insanely good. Very humble, hard worker, respects the game, laughs a little bit, um, respects his opponent and the process. He obviously has a very good coach in his corner. Seems like they understand what, what, what it takes to be good. And he absolutely cracks the ball. And he's not afraid of the big stage. He's playing good on every surface. And it's one of the least surprising things in the world that, that he's become good because he's been hanging around people's uh, uh, opinions for a while because everybody knew it was going to come there. And I think he has... A, and it appears to me that he has a mental strength and durability uh, that is stronger than some of the other newcomers that have come through the last few years in order to be able to compete consistently against the, the bigger guys and bigger tournaments. I mean, I think he's consistently getting better and better and better and not like... He learns so quick, it seems. He learns yeah. quickly and it's not like he he wins a tournament and then he goes out to somebody where he thought, that's really surprising. I know he lost to Corda in Monte Carlo, but Corda is really good. And also going from hardcore to clay and 
And he could, he could play Corder in the third round. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Corder is a very good player. I really like his game, but I think he's much more consistent and, and more mentally strong than some of his peers in the same age. So I'm fully expecting him to dominate, uh, be amongst the dominating players the next few years. And uh, of the top three players to lose, I'm sorry, Vazi, I don't see Medvedev making a bit, big run. I think yeah. at some point he's going to find somebody who's going to make life tricky for him. I also think, I think it's easier said than done now. It's easy to say now that we just discussed him being down two sets to one. But I also see Tsitsipas might have some difficulty coming through because, and this is going to segue into what I really want to talk about, not, not only biased here also trying to be somewhat objective i'm super excited about holger Rune, and i don't yeah. see him being able to i don't see it unlikely as him making a big run and i'm i mean he has some tricky opponents in the next two rounds potentially because he's over two against laksonen uh if he were to play gaston in the third round lefty tricky at home drop shots rhythm break or whatever but I would feel fairly confident on his behalf if he were to play Tsitsipas in a fourth round at a slam game-wise matchup, but also because he thrives on confidence. And if he's in the fourth round of a slam, he is going to be absolutely bursting with it. And I think it's very exciting times. And I think also he kind of goes a little bit under the radar because Carlos is the same age. But his results on just isolated as a one player are insanely good. And he's hitting all the marks for all the top players. He's already won a tour event. He's now the highest ranked Danish player in history on the ATP rankings. He's going to keep getting records. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch in this uh, French Open. Yeah. Well, we, we've spoken about it quite a bit, Freddie. And I think, yeah, you know, I, again, had, had Holger on, on the podcast. I, I've never met an individual like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really haven't. I mean, the belief I, I sat there, like I'm speaking to an 18 year old here. He completely believe, like he has no doubts in his mind. It seemed like, like oh, can I interrupt you there? it's, it's beyond belief. It's to him. It's knowledge. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's so strong it's, that it's, it's just like, it's not even so, so he believes it and he makes it real and you can cut, you can see him. He backs it up on the court. Time after time. I'd like to make a little shout. Somebody who, again, from that part of the world, Freddie, but I think very, very different in lots of ways to Holger. You know, goes under the radar massively. You know, had had a had a, an emotional first round match today against Joe Wilfred Songa. You know, Joe Wilfred's, and we have to mention the amazing career that he's had. But Casper Rude and and somebody who, oh my God, who has just chipped away, chipped away, has proven people wrong on on the hard courts. Maybe hasn't had his best clay court season ever, but I believe believe made semifinals in Rome, you know. So is is coming. And one Geneva. So there you go. So 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 maybe 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 he's had too many matches over the last couple of weeks. But he, but he I'm seems not worried like, about that. Yeah, I love him as well. Love him. Great guy. Down to earth, works so hard. Is very respectful to the game, to his uh, upbringing, where he's coming from. He's got good, good parents around him that keep him solid. I mean, if you talk to him, you would think he's thirty-five. Yeah. Uh, I was also thinking today that 
it was actually the perfect opponent for for Joe as well because you'd have a competitive match, you play a really good guy, and then you play somebody who understands tennis history and understands the occasion and is not gonna make I mean he's gonna be quiet and go around his business and do well, but it's gonna be somebody where you also get your chance to to shine and you can hear the way he talked after the match as well. And big, big fan of Casper, really big fan. Yeah. I've been following for a while and I think he is a big role model for Scandinavian talents going forward. So I know it's not much of an outsider when he's a top 10 in the world. He's number eight in the world. But I I can see from the big guns, I can see Djokovic coming through and I could I can see Kasper Rude coming through from the bottom half. And that's my pick. Djokovic Rude final in which Djokovic wins in three relatively easy straight sets. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a particularly bad call. I also think Kasper has a few... I still think that there's a few holes in his game against the big guys, but as I mean, as is commonly said, once you win the first few rounds and you go deep, that those kind of things kind of disappear because yeah. confidence and momentum takes over, and then Great. it's not as important anymore. So I agree. I, I can I can get behind that statement. Fozzy, you you sticking with Medvedev? Daniel's my man. He's my man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still uh, saying, okay, there's a lot of question marks about Holger's physicality because he's he, he tends to cramp a lot. He cramped in Australia. He was cramping in uh, in, uh, in in Lyon now. And, and it, it, you know, the jury's still out whether he can compete in in, uh, in best of five sets in, in tough conditions. But one, one time is going to be the first one. That he's gonna go deep, and the way he's playing at the moment, he plays so well in Munich. Keep, I'm not ruling him out of any match he's playing. Every match he goes into play, I'm gonna think he has a has a good chance to win. And I actually, I actually called him to beat Chapo before before he won today. So my my outside my outside just to, to rock the boat on the top half, rock it big time, is Dimitrov. I think he's been playing all right. What unbelievable first round he had. Yeah, I think he's been playing all right. So I, I, I think he could rock the boat in the top half as, as an outsider. That is just stinky. I mean, let's see who he Yeah, plays. everyone says that. But yeah, no, no, I get that. But, but I think, I think he, he's going he's gonna to swing from the hip. Everyone's talking about that top half. And, and if he doesn't come through, no one's going to, you know, and, and no one's going to say anything untoward but I think you know if he swings from the hip and he, and he just kind of cruises through yeah he, he's got he's got the ability he's got the game to to rock the boat well it's an exciting it's an exciting event I'm pleased we got on to the French Open for a while there I thought yeah. we I thought we were about to move into uh <laughs> being a polit- political podcast you know with uh yeah. but, but guys I I as always massively appreciate your time and and not just your time, your knowledge, uh, the, the passion that you both speak with as well about, about these subjects. And, you know, I know anyone listening to this, it's, it's hopefully going to be thought-provoking. You know, I hope everyone respects everyone's views. You know, we know that it's an incredibly difficult and challenging time in the world right now. You know, everything going on and, and everyone's affected in their own little way, you know, and some people obviously much more affected than others. Um, it's a sport that we love. I think my my closing remarks would be, let's let's get our act together, tennis. Let's get the sport together. You know, let's stop having, 
you know, all of these fractured decisions being made and, and fractured ways of being that that ultimately cause this polarizing effect, you know, a, a, across our sport. You know, let's let's professionalize it. You know, there's many, many amazing people with, within the sport. We all get the pleasure of, of sitting and, and watching the French Open unravel over the next couple of weeks. You know, all the best to all of the, the players out there. Uh, Freddie, Vozzi, thank you, guys. And can I just thank say you. one last point? Absolutely. And like Vozzi also been said, we all know the wrinkle effects of, uh, of, of the war and we all obviously understand that people are dying and getting their lives destroyed but you can just see what a wrinkle effect it has all the way out and I completely agree with you Vasi that these independent contracts are innocent people that that get uh, punished for this and it just shows that even so far out in the in the scheme of, of, of people that are affected even in our world you know stupid people forcing stupid wars upon people has an effect on innocent lives all over the world, yeah. even sports people. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's painful to watch and not to forget all the people that are actually directly involved. It goes even so far out to, to, to sports people as well. It's just painful to see what's going on in the world. So hopefully better times ahead. Just, just echoing what Fritz says there. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's incredibly sad. Um, for for everyone involved in in, in the war, um, but yeah, I, I I don't don't I think if if you're representing your country and then yeah, the sanctions sanctions are rightly put in place that you you know you can't represent your country, but if you're an independent contractor, you have the right to work unless governmental restrictions uh, restrict you from doing so and. I think there's a lot there's there's, there's 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 lots of nuances within within the decision that I, I think um, yeah it's it's sad it's sad for the game and as you said this shows how fractured the governance of tennis tennis is in terms of this there's so many governing bodies and no one's really talking to the other person. And uh, my my just final thoughts are with the families directly impacted you know on the Ukrainian yeah. tennis players. The Ukrainian families, the and and I know that it isn't the only war that's also going on in the world right now, and I think sometimes we 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 forget that as well. But both yeah. of you, I hope you your families are uh, first and foremost safe, happy, healthy. Uh, thank you on behalf of everyone at Controller Controllables once again for your for your generous giving of, of your time, your knowledge, your expertise, and and I hope to catch up with both of you in person very soon. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Dan. Always a pleasure. Now, I said to the guys when I text them frantically earlier today, I need 30 or 40 minutes of your time. And Freddie sent a gif back on WhatsApp that basically said, yeah, right. You know, uh, the, the chances of us keeping a, a tennis discussion to 30 or 40 minutes is, is slim to none. And, and boy, was he right. You know, I was looking at the clock as we were talking, loved the conversation, didn't want it to end, but appreciate that you as the listeners have to have to listen to these podcasts and we try not to make them go on too long, but sometimes the discussion is so good that they do. So because of that, I'm not going to keep you too long here at the end of it. I just want to touch base with you all. Hope everyone is doing well. Wish everyone the best. 
in this in this challenging world that we do live in. Uh, say a big, big thank you as always for the support that you are giving Control the Controllables. We stay dedicated to all of you to keep bringing these these amazing guests, these amazing episodes, and wishing you all a fantastic summer of 2022. Stay safe, stay healthy. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. Control the Controllables.